Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the campfire. The only place where friends and strangers alike sit down and tell tales in truth or fiction. In exchange of my blessing of their safe travels. Allow me to relight the fire while you relax and listen. Make your mind wander about the reality we live in. The story I'm about to tell you is from a traveler named Snickering Haystack. He called this one, I've been stuck in the year 2005 for over a decade. Please, allow me to tell you his tale. For over a decade, I've been reliving the year 2005. Each year, or rotation as I call the passing of every 365 days. The cycle begins anew. Same routines, same troubles in the news, same people around me. The rotations don't begin on January 1st like you might be expecting, but instead on Christmas Day, just before midnight. That was the night I performed the ritual for the creature, Mr. Morgenstern. For a decade or more, I've kept up my end of the bargain with Mr. Morgenstern. But for some reason, this last rotation, this last Christmas, something went wrong. If you haven't guessed already, it was my wish that this limbo of 2005 repeat itself. For reasons, I'll get into it later. I will say now that I had no choice. I had to do it. It was the best thing for everyone. Don't mistake this for a confession. I'm not confessing. I am not seeking forgiveness for what I've done, nor am I repenting. I am beseeching your understanding, whoever you are reading this. And perhaps, with what's transpired, these posts are my last gasp at immortality. Friday, December 23rd. I meet my husband Josh at the second cup coffee shop off Mavis. Like I do every December 23rd. Like every rotation before, he's sitting by the window wearing his crisp white button-down with the ebony cufflinks I bought him for his 38th birthday. He's also wearing his cornflower blue necktie, his sharkskin suit jacket draped along the shoulders of his chair. His winter coat is crumpled into an unsightly black mass on the seat next to him. There's a tiny espresso cup, the china unstained, glistening on the table. At 40 years old, he's still as handsome as the dashing young defense attorney I fell in love with. Square jaw, high cheekbones, fine Roman nose, and the most irresistible emerald eyes. His hairline has receded, the flesh of his temples now exposed, forming a kind of widow's peak, but I don't mind. I've tried to find his balding pattern uncomely to spite him, but I've never found his appearance any less appealing over the years. He looks up at me, regarding me with a put-on air of remorse. It worked the first time, brought me to my knees, in fact. This time I'd rather he just drop the pretense and get it over with. I know what I am to him this day, one more drawn out inconvenience on an already busy afternoon. Thank you for coming, he says, referring to the message he left on the answering machine two hours ago. After seven rotations I have the thing memorized, down to the fillers, and slight stammer on his pronunciation of the address. I didn't bother listening to it this day, 
I arrive knowing the address by rote. Hi, honey, I say to him, mustering all the housewifely sticky sweetness I can muster. I wave off the approaching server, declining to order. Don't you need to get back to work? I ask, knowing the answer but needing to feed him the line for the confession to follow. I hope you're not here to tell me that the partners are expecting you to work on Christmas again. You know how much the children have been looking forward to seeing you for the holidays. No, Lorraine, that's not what I came here to tell you. Even after all this time, all this repetition, his words, and that deadpan delivery still hit me like a sledgehammer to the gut. He didn't always call me by my name like that either, opting during our feverish courtship to calling me low. But in these last 11 months, he's addressed me formally by Lorraine. Okay, I breathe. I know what's coming next. I know how much it's going to hurt. The anticipation helps me regain my composure. With little effort, I turn to stone. My husband continues, I'm sure it won't come as a surprise that things have not been going well lately. What do you mean? I bleat, feigning ignorance. You mean, at work? No, with us. Things have not been going well with us, Lorraine. When I first heard this, I was gobsmacked. I genuinely believed that this year had been the happiest time we'd had since getting married. For the first few rotations, I thought he was lying trying to make himself feel less guilty about what he was asking of me. But during these last couple of rotations, I've started noticing what he meant. What? I ask, trying to sound overwhelmed. What are you talking about? The fights, the nagging, the long hours at work, the almost nightly binge drinking, the lack of sex. His frail mask of remorse has dissipated, his eyes souring with agitation. Impatience. Lorraine, he huffs. There's no easy way of saying this. He stops, as though giving me a chance to absorb and anticipate what's next. The truth is I'm already bored. I'm leaving. You're leaving. I speak as though stating a fact. I'm leaving you. I want a divorce. I feel my heart lurch in my chest. Divorce. What an ugly word. What a horribly sterile term to cover so much confusion and anguish. So much destruction. I try to put on the waterworks, not for sympathy just to feel human. But after 10 or more consecutive walkthroughs, I honestly can't be bothered. My mind wanders to the Danielle Steele paperback I wish I'd brought with me. You want a divorce? I exhale, my voice dead. He stares at me for a beat before his eyes flutter and his face scrunches with faint bemusement. This isn't the reaction he expected. It isn't the hysterical one he got 10 rotations ago. Yeah, he says carefully. That's right. I anticipate his next line of dialogue. After hearing it so many times, I've realized he's rehearsed what to say. For a fleeting second, I amuse myself by imagining him practicing in one of the mirrors in the bathroom at work, ducking every time he hears someone coming in to use the can. I know that Mr. Morgenstern wouldn't approve, but I can't help myself from what happens next. Look, he continues, plowing forward, I love. You and the kids, I interrupt, reciting his lines back to him. It's just that I don't feel like living together is our best option anymore. Josh tilts his head, clearly confused. That's right, he utters, sounding almost like he's asking a question. Well, I sigh, half-heartedly returning to the script. Would you consider seeing a marriage counselor? For Tobias and Jennifer's sake. Look, he snaps like he always does, my lips moving in sync with his. I've met someone, someone, who I'm serious about. Someone who makes me feel alive again. 
Someone I want to spend the rest of my life with. I roll my eyes and wiggle my fingers in the air as I mimic him. I then signal the server. I've decided I do need a coffee after all. That's freaky, he says, his brow knitted, his eyelashes butterfly wings. I just got deja vu. How how did you know I was going to say all that? Ignoring him, I order a large dark roast to go. Lorraine, he says in a whisper. Have we had this conversation before? I look deep into his eyes, seeing the genuine confusion on his face. There's the slightest glimmer of fear, of mortification. Unable to resist, the sadistic pull too strong. I take it a step further. Is it that cute brunette you've got? That receptionist just out of high school. The one with the nice rack and the mile long legs. I notice his fingers, which are air typing like they always do when he gets nervous. The cufflinks catch my eye again. My neck bristles. I'll bet he doesn't even remember it was I who had gifted them to him. Just like he doesn't remember his previous study in our house. His hallowed man cave all but boarded up now. His desk, bowling trophies, and football memorabilia collecting dust. I had always kept it clean but let it rot these past three rotations. Are we about done here? I ask, unable to hide my disgust. Wait a minute, Josh snaps, almost lunging across the table. My coffee arrives in a paper cup, and I begin slipping on my coat. Wait a minute, Lo. Have you been spying on me? I let out a haughty little laugh. Don't flatter yourself, Joshua. You're not that hard to read. Did, did you hire a private investigator or something? It's hard not to hate my husband at this moment. To not remind him as I had over ten years ago, through my tears, that I had quit my job despite being on the shortlist for an assistant prosecutor. Quitting so there would be no conflict with him and his law practice. So he wouldn't feel emasculated since, for a while. I was making more money than he was. But he would inevitably fire back with the truth. I quit my job because I always wanted a family. Before turning to leave, I remember to say the last part of the script. Listen, Joshua, please come for the weekend at least. I think Tobias and Jennifer deserve one last Christmas with their family, unperturbed by the harshness of real life. And please don't mention this, not until after the holidays. Typically, his response is a begrudging acceptance, a reluctant acquiescence. This time, he stares up wall-eyed at me, as if not hearing or understanding. After a moment, he confirms he understands with a slow pendulous nod. I exit the little coffee shop. Once inside my SUV, I rummage in my plush winter coat for my keys, finding my cell phone instead. It's lit, indicating a missed call or a message. I flip it open, seeing a voice message from Simcoe Elementary, Tobias in Jennifer's school. I listen to it, hearing a tinny voice requesting that I come to pick up my daughter immediately. This is new. Having turned the engine over, I peel out of the strip mall parking lot and ease onto Mavis before driving west onto Winston Churchill. I arrive at Simcoe around one, just two hours before the students are to be dismissed for the break. Inside it's boiling, the heat cranked up to stave off the Canadian element howling outside. The last time I was here was for a painful parent-teacher interview. Don't get the wrong idea, my kids are smart, their grades are fine and they're no more poorly behaved than any other juveniles their age. In fact, they're more mature and better behaved than most. I wouldn't hesitate to even call them brilliant. It's just always a raw experience, hearing these revelations about my kids. How they're changing in ways I haven't been privy to. 
how they're growing up, growing away from me. I sign in at the reception desk, get my visitor's sticker, and then proceed to the adjacent hallway. My daughter Jennifer is sitting in a metal armchair, facing the open door of the principal's office. The principal, Mrs. Park, a pretty, stout, Asian woman in a muted pantsuit is standing over her. Mrs. Park and I meet eyes wordlessly. I bend down and reach for my daughter's impish face. It's a pretty face, somewhat boyish, with red freckles and her father's brilliant green eyes. Besides the eyes and her close haircut, she looks just like I did at her age. Her forehead is damp, her short chestnut mop matted as though she's been sweating. I ask her quietly if she's alright. She looks up at me with a cold, emotionless stare. Thank you for coming, Mrs. Claiborne, says Mrs. Park. I take a moment to push a damp errant strand behind my daughter's ear before acknowledging the principal. What happened? I ask. Perhaps we should discuss this in my office, she replies, guardedly requesting a private conversation out of my daughter's earshot. I don't see why not. I follow her into her office, and she shuts the door behind me. Mrs. Park's office is different from the rest of the school, including the narrow hallway in which my daughter is waiting. The walls aren't festooned with colorful paper cutouts of cartoon animals or balloon letters and fractions. No framed motivational posters either. Besides a six-foot bookcase and shabby black desk, Mrs. Park's office is as drab and empty as my husband's study, complete with a few bowling trophies. Something happened with my daughter, I ask, easing myself into a chair. Eyes downcast, Mrs. Park nods and sits behind the pine desk. Yes, as you may know, we tend to perform a biannual cleanup of the school. One before winter break, and again before the summer holiday. This includes cleaning out the lockers of the grade 7s and the grade 8s. Like your daughter, Jennifer. To be perfectly honest, this is our school's way of having a sweep of all the lockers. To inspect them all at once. Yes, her lips purse into a thin line. She then bends sideways, reaching below the desk. She places the following items before me. A roll of duct tape, a pair of black leather gloves, a pair of MMA-style protective gloves, a coil of hemp rope, a book on wilderness survival, a book on self-defense, and various knives and blades, some of which look to be home-fashioned. These were all found inside Jennifer's locker this morning. A wave of relief washes over me. So that's where she's hidden them this rotation. She tried to hide them by opening and closing her locker very quickly, telling us that she'd already cleared it out. My God, I gasp, putting on the act. It has to seem like this is news to me. We've had our school counselor and psychologist speak with Jennifer. It's strange, but she seems to be under the impression that she's trapped dot 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 um. Something about being trapped in a fake reality. Like the Matrix movies, she says. Knitting my brow, I squint hard at the principal. I'm not following. A lie. I know exactly what she means. Mrs. Park clears her throat. Um, she seems to believe that this world around her is fake and that she and her brother are the only real people. And that they are under threat by something. She couldn't really elaborate. But she did say that she believes that you are not her real mother. That she's already lived through this year. This school year several times, and that her uncle specifically is dead and that an imposter has been put in his place. That everyone's pretending he isn't dead even though he is. I swallow hard. Jennifer thinks I'm not her real mother. 
sitting stationary before the principal's desk. I let this sink in. Of course, I don't really have to. Part of the arrangement with Mr. Morgenstern was that only the four of us, Tobias, Jennifer, Joshua, and I, would truly be stuck in 2005. Everyone else would be a holographic projection since they were made only out of our memories and the manipulations of Mr. Morgenstern. As you would expect, this meant there were sometimes glitches in our reality, especially if that person had died in real life. I was told by Mr. Morgenstern that Joshua's brother, Jen's uncle Freddy, had passed some time in 2010, and thus the glitches became more prominent in that particular holograph. Even Mrs. Park, this woman sitting across from me, is just a hologram reacting to the disturbance my daughter has made in our little wonderland. Still, these holographs will act logically, including challenging me when reason dictates. May I ask? I begin slowly, careful not to overplay my hand. Do you have anything else of Jennifer's here? Yes, we have her school bag. We didn't find anything troubling inside. May I see it? She tilts back down and retrieves my daughter's Hogwarts knapsack. I unzip the bag and pull out a thick black binder, likewise zippered shut. It doesn't take me long, I've seen them before. Hmm, oh, there they are, I announce, finding a cluster of single sheet papers stuffed at the very back of the binder. I pluck them out and lay them neatly on the principal's desk so she can see. Her mouth drops open like a hatch. Good grief, she whispers, before she is a half dozen penciled illustrations, all by my daughter, of grotesque malformed faces, and they all seem to follow the same pattern. Most of the faces look half-human while the other half is distorted into dark, grisly shapes and textures, fangs, leathery skin, scales, tubers, horns, dead eyes. The eyes, in particular, are troubling. They have no sclere but are spiraled into oblivion, a single pinprick of white signifying the pupil. My daughter is quite the talented artist, though one with a grim torturous muse. Worse, she's always been an especially precocious child, having read Harry Potter, The Hobbit, and the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy before reaching her 11th birthday. I, Mrs. Park stammers, looking down at the pictures. I've never seen these before. I've seen them a hundred times, I state flatly. These are her impressions of what she sees around her. This one in the middle I recognize as her Uncle Freddy. The one she told you is dead. Really, she's drawn that same ghastly visage before at home. On our walls, in fact, written the words my uncle next to it. Mrs. Park, her mouth still agape, looks up at me and says nothing. I blink long then exhale. We believe Jennifer may be suffering from schizophrenia. Given her age and these hallucinations, it seems likely. We've started visiting a child psychiatrist. She hasn't come to a conclusion yet but she tells us it doesn't look good. Oh, dear. Mrs. Park puts a soft flipper to her mouth. I wait for her to compose herself so she can tell me what's next. I see, she says finally, gathering up the papers and jogging them against the desk. I'm very sorry to hear that. But she looks up at me, my frankness catching her off guard. But I'm afraid that Jennifer will have to be suspended for two weeks, seeing as she brought a weapon or weapons. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great, but having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. 
From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. To school, two weeks following the winter holiday. I ask, indifferent for obvious reasons. That's correct. Fine. I'll take her home now. If you don't mind, since I'm here, I'd like to bring Tobias home early as well. He's in sixth grade. I'm hoping that won't be too much trouble since it's the last day before break. No trouble at all, says Mrs. Park. She pulls open a squeaky desk drawer and produces a powder blue Bristol card. I'll have our receptionist call his homeroom teacher. We'll tell her he's dismissed. I'm sure any homework or take-home notices for the break have already been provided to him. She begins scrawling something on the card. I'm sure. Listen, do you have a juice box or something? Something I can give my daughter to calm her down. A minute later, I'm sitting next to Jennifer, watching her sip fruit punch through a straw. I try cooing to her, playing with her hair, assuring her that everything's all right. Instead, she jerks her head out of reach and doesn't say a word. Two hours later, and the three of us are at home. Tobias and Jennifer are seated sedately on the living room couch, killing a thousand monsters on the PS2. Tobias, still an energetic happy-go-lucky boy, is into the game, exclaiming and shouting sporadically with each kill or hit to his video-simulated life. Conversely, Jennifer stares dull-eyed at the screen, her thumbs rotating the analogs as though her hands belonged to someone else. I don't like the game they're playing, but it's still better than the World War II shooter Tobias loves. Call of Honor or something. I can't stand it, with its gray images of historic warfare. Not to mention the blare of gunfire and someone shouting good, comrade. Good, every five seconds. On the few occasions, he's home, Joshua especially loses his temper at Tobias for playing with the volume too loud. I've always wished Joshua wasn't so harsh with his son, Tobias being spitting. Be it a gangling image of his father. Still a few hours from dinner and Josh's hopeful arrival. I sink deep into the kitchen hiding behind the inane sounds of my soap opera trilling from the mini-TV. I have a pot of pasta on the stove. The pasta's something quick for dinner. I still need to prepare the mashed potato casserole and stuffing for the big day. Once I'm sure no one's listening, I take out my phone and dial Mr. Morgenstern's office. Morgenstern, legend, and associates, blares the creature. His put-on, smarmy voice plowing through their company slogan, telegraphing it through the receiver. We sell dreams by the skyfall. It's me. Oh, hello, Mrs. Claiborne, he says, his voice patronizing and its optimism. How are Josh and the kids? Pretty shit, actually. I'm sorry to hear that. Joshua is still trying to leave me. Well, Mrs. Claiborne, I can only hypnotize Joshua into accepting this faux reality. It's your job to bewitch him into loving you. I'm sure a woman of your impeccable charm can handle that. That's not all. My daughter just got suspended from school. 
I thought they go on holiday soon. They're on holiday now. So, what's the problem then? They found a knife and rope and all kinds of paranoid crazy shit in her locker. So, she hid all that at school this time. How? Jesus Christ, Morgenstern. The deal was that they wouldn't know that we were repeating the year. That things would be like they always were. Listen, Lorraine, baby, I told you over ten rotations ago. This reality has hypnotic effects on those inside it. Even you. But they're not put under amnesia. In the end, the Marks have to believe that the world is as they see it and as they're told it is. There's no guarantee that some won't buck. It's up to you to keep up the facade. But what about my daughter? My sweet, precious Jennifer. She's gone from that sweet, sweet little girl to a paranoid nut job. She thinks I'm not even her real mother. Look, what can I say? Just spend some mother-daughter time together. Give her some parental advice. I don't know. It's those glitches, especially the ones that occur when her Uncle Freddy is around. That holograph keeps morphing, and what we see beyond it scares the daylights out of everybody. Look, okay, okay. Relax. I'll see what I can do next rotation. Just make sure that you go through the ritual the night after tomorrow. Just don't blow your stack like this in anyone's earshot. We wouldn't want the facade to break down any more than it has. Oh, one more thing. You haven't had any strangers come to talk to you lately. Have you? Strangers? What do you mean? You know, strangers. People you don't know. People who maybe don't seem like the typical holographs. No, no one like that. Why? Good, good. Just keep it that way. All right. Go through with the ritual on Sunday and don't talk to anyone who shouldn't be there. Lots of luck. Now, that was the end of my tale. I hope you enjoyed yourself, listening while escaping the world you live in. That is all for today. Safe travels, and a blessed day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.